This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Rachel Maddow Show, The David Pakman Show, A Best of the Left Activism Update, The Young Turks, Counterspin, This Week in Blackness, The Progressive, and Comedian Lee Camp. And a note for our pet-owning listeners, this episode contains dog whistle politics, so be sure to keep your canines safely out of range before listening. There was a time with Donald Trump when he was going to be running for president himself, remember? He pulled great last spring, just behind Mitt Romney, even with Mike Huckabee. Donald Trump's platform when he was running for president, or seemed seemed to be, um, consisted of a single gigantic plank. I would like to have him show his birth certificate. Why doesn't he show his birth certificate? Either he wasn't born in the country or he doesn't have a birth certificate. People have birth certificates. He doesn't have a birth certificate. He doesn't have a birth certificate or he hasn't provided. He's given a certificate of live birth. He wasn't born here. He can't prove it. He won't give us the longer than long form birth certificate. He's not a person. Vote for me. Fire him. After President Obama did, in fact, release a long-form birth certificate in April 2011, uh, making much fun of Donald Trump in the process, after that, Donald Trump did kind of go away for a while. It seemed like maybe this election had seen the last of him. But then he came back like a hand out of the fresh dirt over a grave. He endorsed Governor Romney in February in Las Vegas, and he started raising money for Mr. Romney at lots and lots of fundraisers, even as he started publicly beating the birther drum again. I think if you look at the birth certificate, take a look, and you tell me, really, you analyze the birth certificate. There are many people that don't agree with that birth certificate. They don't think it's authentic. Right after Donald Trump said that, Mitt Romney appeared with Donald Trump at a fundraiser in Las Vegas, right alongside him, both of there in person. Yeah. Asked how he could be doing a fundraiser with this guy pushing the birth certificate thing, which Mr. Romney says is totally, totally not at all anything that he believes in. Mr. Romney offered an explanation of why he was doing the fundraiser. It was a a mathematical explanation. I don't agree with all the people who support me. My guess is they don't all agree with everything I I believe in. But I need to get 50.1% or more. And I'm uh, appreciative to have the help of a lot of good people. That's why he was doing the Donald Trump thing with the birther thing. Mitt Romney had done the math. It was not very hard math, but he had done it. He needs 50.1% of the vote. The new NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, as you have heard this week, shows Mitt Romney with 0% of the African-American electorate. The Romney-Ryan ticket trails there by what I'm not sure you can even characterize as a margin, 94% to 0%. Mr. Romney is losing badly among Latino voters as well. He's losing Latino voters by a 35-point margin, which is almost exactly the margin by which McCain and Palin lost the Latino vote when they lost to Barack Obama, in part because of their low proportion of the Latino vote. Mitt Romney is running out of ways to meet his own low mathematical expectations. But I need to get 50.1% or more. He's right. He does need 50.1%. From this distance, he cannot get there by winning over African-American voters. He's also really not getting anywhere with Latino voters. A national papers please plank in the Republican platform? Really? Mitt Romney's only hope now is to win over white voters by a very large margin. I mean, today in his home state of Michigan, in the city of Commerce, Michigan, on the eve of the Republican convention, he said this. Now, I love being home in this place where Ann and I were raised, where both of us were born. Ann was born at Henry Ford Hospital. I was born at Harper Hospital. No one's ever asked to see my birth certificate. They know that this is the place that we were born and raised. 
Nobody's ever asked to see my birth certificate. Want to know why? Nobody's suspicious of... Over the next few days, you're going to hear and see and read those words a lot. Almost as soon as he said them, Mr. Romney was asked to defend making these birther comments, this birther joke in Michigan. And he, he did say, hey, it was just a joke. Under the hashtag future mitt jokes, the great Oliver Willis tweeted today, quote, nobody wonders if I'm an absentee father. Then he tweeted, quote, everyone just assumes if I have a gun, it really is just for hunting. Future mitt jokes. 50.1%, every vote counts. The ones you've written off and the ones you might get if it looks like you are willing to write off certain others. Why would Mitt Romney make a birther joke on the way to the Republican National Convention? Does the Romney campaign think there is an upside here? Do they think it helps them if they somehow reward and comfort and proverbially clap on the shoulder anybody who's the kind of person who still holds a deep-seated feeling that this man should not be an American president? that there is something illegitimate and un-American about this man being in charge of the government. What will they do to reach that 50.1? And what really does help them to get it? So they label me conscious But I don't rap about guns Cause I wasn't forced into the project See I was put in a position Where I could choose my options Blessed with the privilege That my parents could send me to college Now who's going to shows? The kids in the block starving Or the white people with dough That can relate to my content Marketed the music Now adapted to the lifestyle What happened in jazz and rock and roll Is happening right now Where's my place in the music That's been taken by the media With white corporations Controlling what they're feeding you I brought up Aesop Rock But I'm not even dissing dude We love Okay, let's look at a couple other funny things that have been going on. A birther event, billed as the biggest birther event of the year, which was scheduled for later in September in Phoenix, Arizona, has been canceled because there haven't been adequate ticket sales. In other words, people don't want to go to this nonsense. This was going to be the Sheriff Joe event. It was going to include, of course, our good friend Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio, as well as former Army Lieutenant Colonel Colonel Terrence Lakin, who, if you forgot who he is, he's the guy who refused to go to Afghanistan because he said he just didn't believe President Obama was legitimately in office. Therefore, why would he be able to send him to Afghanistan? Just doesn't make sense. Right. As well as Pat Boone. What, how could such a star-studded event not sell out right away, Lewis? Who wouldn't want to hang out with uh, Sheriff Joe and Pat Boone? Especially in Arizona. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised that ticket sales are low. Organizers plan to use the event to tell Congress to take up Joe Arpaio's year-long investigation into President Obama's supposedly fake birth certificate. It's sad that you can't even get enough crazy people together to have the biggest birther event of the year, isn't it? It's a good sign. <laughs> it's a good. It really, it is. It's a good sign. Because if you told me about this uh, and didn't tell me that it was canceled due to low ticket sales, I'd tell you this event would sell out. It sold out months ago. <laughs> You're surprised it didn't do this. Yeah. Well. Wow.
Welcome to the Best of the Left Activism Update. My name is Lauren, and I'm the Activism Czar at bestoftheleft.com. Mitt Romney is a unicorn. Okay, wait, hear me out. Birtherism, despite all of its nonsensical extremism, is alive and well. The far right are going to extreme lengths to disprove Barack Obama's legitimacy as President of the United States. So much so, that states are beginning to question Obama's lawful place on the electoral ballot. Recently, Arizona Secretary of State Ken Bennett announced that he was going to keep the president off the ballot this November because of, quote, questions whether the president was born in America. Bennett, the state's number two elected official just below Republican Governor Jan Brewer, said this investigation was not personal. He said the reason he began looking into this matter was because he received more than 1,200 emails asking him to do so. Well then, if that's all it takes, what about Mitt Romney? What about the, wait for it, persistent rumors that Mitt Romney is in fact a unicorn? I mean, all things being equal, according to leftaction.com, there has never been a conclusive DNA test proving that Mitt Romney is not a unicorn. We have never seen him without his hair, hair that could be covering up a horn. No, we cannot prove it. But we cannot prove that this is not the case either. And if Mitt Romney is or may be a unicorn, he is not constitutionally qualified to be president. 1,200 emails were enough to get Bennett to launch an investigation of the president's birth. So leftaction.com petitioned progressives to send their prove Mitt Romney is not a unicorn message. And guess what? It worked. If you think this is just a joke, well, friends, it's hilarious, yes. But it surprisingly carries actual political weight. This tactic has worked, and Arizona eventually backed down. So, as with any good hilarious satire, this maneuver needs repeating. Last week, Kansas joined the League of Make-Believe. Three of the state's top elected Republicans determined they lack sufficient evidence for President Barack Obama's birth records to decide whether to remove the Democratic nominee from the November ballot. This was based on one complaint from a birther. Removal of Obama's name in Kansas, a state certain to side with Republican presidential nominee Mitt Romney, would be strange given the president's mother and maternal grandparents were Kansas natives. So now's our turn to send Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach a message. If one complaint from a birther was enough to provoke Kobach to launch a state investigation, then a few thousand messages regarding Unicorn Romney should be enough for him to launch an investigation on that front as well. Romney's unicornism is no more outlandish than Obama's birth origin. So please go to our link for leftaction.com's campaign at bit.ly slash unicornromney to tell Kansas Secretary of State Mitt Romney may be a unicorn. Investigate! This has been a Best of the Left activism update, Lauren's birthday edition. For more information about the link in this segment, please consult the show notes at bestoftheleft.com. Likewise, if you yourself have an activist call to action that you would like shared on the show, please contact me directly at lauren at bestoftheleft.com. love this story about Fox News. They're doing, going to do a story about how sneakers are cost $300 and it, there's some controversy around it. 
But it's perfect because it's Fox News 101. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's Fox News 101 when it comes to race issues? Well, here's the four elements that you must have, right? One, you need to blame black people uh, using a stereotype, a particular stereotype. Number two, you need to attack civil rights groups. Number three, you need to protect corporations. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and number four, you must use a black man as a proxy for these attacks. Of course, of okay. course. As soon as you mentioned $300 sneakers, I'm like, this is going to be some sort of like hit job on the black community. Of Guaranteed. course, and you have to use a black guy. So in this clip, they nailed it. They went four for four. Watch. So $315 sneakers are a civil rights issue? <laughs> I, I share the sticker shock. I think we all do. $300 for a pair of sneakers. But when you look at some of the real problems facing black America, 14.4% sure. unemployment, right. six points higher than the national average. Kids are heading back to school. Black kids disproportionately will head back to the worst schools, the most violent schools with the worst performing right. teachers. And this is what the uh, National Urban League wants to talk about, the price of sneakers doesn't make a lot of sense. Now you have to understand the National Urban League is saying, hey, you know what, since you market to our kids and then you charge them these incredible amounts of money, it doesn't help their poverty, it doesn't help their situation, etc. That's why they're concerned about it. Now you can argue about that, whether that is a legitimate thing to concern yourself with, etc. But here Fox wants to make sure it's not the corporation's fault, it's not their fault for overcharging, etc. Okay. Whose fault is it? It's the black people's fault who have the terrible schools, et cetera, et cetera. I know because the Wall Street Journal columnist, Wall Street Journal also owned by Rupert Murdoch, who owns News Corp, Jason Riley, tells me so, and he's black. Here, let's let him uh, explain. Here's what uh, the president of the National Urban League says, quote, it's insensitive to market a $300 shoe to kids and teens as people are going back to school and struggling to buy school supplies. This is not food. This is not rent. It's a single pair of sneakers. So he's saying it's insensitive. So now what they're, wor they're worried about the feelings. To the oh extent that this is even an issue, his comments should be directed at the black community. This is about values. Sure. This is about a culture puts bling, that puts conspicuous consumption ahead of industry and thrift. And the focus needs to be on the black community to, to rectify that. Blaming corporate America is not going to fix that problem. I love that clip. That is Don't blame corporate America. You need to understand the right people to blame are black people. <laughs> that was perfect. Now, look, you could have a legitimate conversation about, hey, listen, you know what? Let's, you know, as Bill Cosby tries to do from time to time and he gets a lot of heat, and JR and I have disagreed over that, et cetera. But trying to help people. This is not helping people. This is going on national television and saying it's black people's fault. And don't worry, we got a black guy to say. But they're not done yet. It, it's shifting the blame, and not only on this, uh, the cultures and, and the sensibilities of the black community, but you, you, you name the topic, you know, uh, the achievement gap in schools is not because, you know, black kids watch twice as much television as white kids, it's because standardized tests are biased. Right. You know, uh, 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 black men are, are, are filling our prisons, uh, not because of black behavior, but because the criminal justice system is racist. Sure. This is all about shifting blame when it comes to these civil rights leaders, and they're not doing any favor for the people they claim to represent. And that's perfect point number five. As they're in the middle of doing a segment, shifting blame, you say, oh, you see that? Civil rights leaders and black people are shifting blame. It's amazing. And they're, they're, ama they're amazingly talented at doing this. They do it over and over again. And one more thing. 
it's not like they're trying to help the black community. It's not like Fox News has this huge black viewing base and they're like, hey guys, hey listen, let's have an honest conversation about what's happening here, right? No, this is directed at their white audience so they can go, oh yeah, of course, those black kids wasting their money on the $300 sneakers. Now look, that, we found an honest one and he says it's all their fault. The crime is their fault, the schools are their fault, it's all their culture that's the problem. If only they would you know, have white culture, but I guess Obama's going to take our money and give it to them to have the $300 sneakers. And of course, this is the type of programming that gives you know, individuals in this country ammo to speak out against social programs. Because they'll say, oh, look at all these minorities taking advantage of social programs like welfare and food stamps, when at the same time they're buying the $300 sneakers. That's what this is really about. Right, now, do they have any evidence of that? No, but you know, they just say it in back-to-back -back segments and, oh. That's, how did you wind up thinking that? I don't know. All right, uh, JR, analysis. I don't know. You guys kind of covered it. But it really, in reality, what happens is you talk about the social programs. Um, it's actually just debt. It's not like anybody's buying sneakers with, with food stamps. Because as we already know, again and again, maybe we should say it millions of times against it, black folks aren't the main recipients of, of of uh, government assistance, obviously we know that already. But you know, who cares? We'll, we'll keep perpetuating the other lie. It's it's debt. And by the way, white kids can't afford three hundred and fifteen dollars shoes. Uh, white parents out there, are you guys going? Oh yes, LeBron's are three hundred and fifteen now. No, nobody can afford that. It has nothing to do with black kids. But yes, the, when it's, it's poor kids versus people that can afford it. And then you know, we know it, there's the discrepancy along that. But when it comes to focusing on it, and I'm sorry about the first uh, clip. The guy assumed that the Urban League isn't focusing on bad schools, bad teachers, and, uh, and, and, and uh, violent neighborhoods. Act like we don't, they don't concern themselves. That. that was the straw man he built in the first place. The only thing the Urban League has ever said is, look at these LeBrons for $315. Right, and, and it's, that's just not true. The great majority of what they do are those topics, right? And JR makes a great point. How come Fox didn't do a segment on white kids paying the same $315? Uh, dollars. How come they didn't have a white guy from West Virginia on saying, hey, you know what, I'll tell you what, when we're struggling to find any jobs in this community and most of the federal assistance goes to white people uh, and you know, at the same time they're buying these sneakers just like everybody else is, they chose not to do that segment. They just hmm. make the assumption that this is you know, black kids buying these expensive sneakers. Uh, Again, look, obviously there's more white people than black people in the country. My guess is there's a hell of a lot more white kids buying those sneakers than black kids. Don't suit me. Hey, I put some new shoes on and suddenly everything's right. I said, hey, I put some new shoes on and everybody's smiling. It's so inviting. In 2008, John McCain lost African-American voters really, really badly. And he lost Latino voters really, really badly. He lost Asian voters really badly. And he lost voters of other races that are not African-American or Latino or Asian really badly. Uh, even though he still lost overall, the only way he was able to get the race as close as he did was because he did win a majority of the white vote. He did win 55% of the white vote. Well, right now, the Romney-Ryan campaign is doing roughly the same as John McCain did with Latinos, a little worse. Uh, they're doing even worse with African-Americans. 
Uh, Ron Brownstein crunched the numbers at the National Journal over the last few days and determined that if white people make up the same proportion of the electorate as they did in 08, the magic number that Mr. Romney needs to reach among the white voting population is 61%. He needs 61% of the white vote. That means he needs to capture a lot more of the white vote than John McCain did four years ago. He needs more of the white vote than George W. Bush got when he was re-elected in 2004. He needs more of the white vote than George W. Bush got the first time around as well. He needs to beat Bob Dole in the white vote by 15 points. He needs to do better, more than 20 points better than Poppy Bush did with white voters when he lost to Bill Clinton. He even needs to be better than Poppy Bush with white voters when Poppy Bush won. He needs a higher proportion of the white vote than any Republican candidate has had in 28 years when Ronald Reagan was re-elected with a nearly 20-point overall landslide margin. The only other modern election in which a Republican got an even higher proportion of the white vote was Nixon in 72, when Nixon won the election overall by 25 points, so essentially he won everyone. I mean, even among people who think Mitt Romney's going to win this election, Nobody thinks he's going to win it by 19 points the way Reagan did or by 25 points the way Nixon did. And in the absence of a landslide, an overall landslide that big, how on earth can you plan to get that huge a proportion of white voters? Well, who knows if it is feasible, but Lord knows he is trying. <laughs> now, I love being home in this place where Ann and I were raised, where both of us were born. Ann was born at Henry Ford Hospital. I was born at Harper Hospital. No one's ever asked to see my birth certificate. They know that this is the place that we were born and raised. It's amazing. Nobody's curious about my origins and my status as an American. Nobody needs, unlike some other secret Kenyan presidents we all know. Am I right? What's the difference, peeps? The Romney campaign is still running ads also about welfare, ads that are blatantly racially charged, uh, showing images of hardworking white people and telling them that their black president is just going to start handing out welfare checks to people who won't even look for a job. As a special bonus, the policy claims behind these very racially charged ads has been as thoroughly debunked as the birther nonsense has been. It's just made up entirely in terms of policy matters. But the Romney campaign is sticking with the strategy of campaigning on welfare. As our friend Ezra Klein pointed out at the Washington Post today, the Romney campaign is running more ads about welfare than just about any other issue now. Of the 12 most recent ads posted to his campaign website, five are about welfare. That's more than the number dedicated to health care, more than the number dedicated to introducing Paul Ryan, more than the number dedicated to the economy. So it's the Jobs Jobs Welfare Queen platform. Let's talk about welfare. Mr. Romney, for his part, took the whole stoking white racial resentment welfare strategy a step further this weekend, defending the welfare ads to USA Today and accusing the president of taking this action that he didn't actually take on welfare as a calculation that was designed to shore up the Obama base before the election. As if people on welfare are Barack Obama's base. Especially the lazy ones. Don't expect this to stop, though. The Romney folks need to get to 61% of white voters somehow. And the Romney campaign apparently believes that this welfare queen thing is working. Romney campaign aides insisting to CBS News that their racially dog-whistling, factually inaccurate welfare ads are totally working. The ads are helping the campaign gain ground with middle-class voters who are anxious about the economy. I wonder what other kinds of ads might help the Romney campaign gain ground with these middle-class voters they're reaching out for, these specific type of middle-class voters they're reaching out for. 
The big media guy at the main pro-Romney super PAC is the man who produced one of the most racist television ads in presidential history, the infamous Willie Horton ad. Maybe he'll have some ideas. A Republican strategist told Ron Brownstein for his National Journal piece a couple of days ago, quote, this is the last time around, excuse me, this is the last time anyone will try to do this. Meaning, this is the last time anyone will try to run a presidential campaign aimed at winning a slim majority of votes overall by winning a big majority of white votes. Presumably, this is the last time we will see this strategy because white voters alone will not be enough to win an election in the coming years as the country changes. And it might not be enough this year. But this year, the Republicans are almost 90% white. The new Pew numbers say, in terms of self-identified Republicans, it's 89% white now. And the calculus the Romney campaign appears to be making is that if they can maximize that vote, if they can maximize the white vote by any means necessary, then maybe they can win with nobody else supporting them. Which means we are about to find out whether you can win a presidential election in this country in this year, in the year 2012, by deliberately running against minority voters. Against the wind. We were running against the wind. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Mediaite's Tommy Christopher thought his friend must have misheard a line from CNN's documentary, Romney Revealed, that aired on August 27th. But no, he writes, it turns out Gloria Borger's narration of the Mitt Romney profile really did contain the most ridiculous sentence I've ever heard on television. So let's set it up. Listeners may know that Romney got four deferments during the Vietnam War, though Borger, CNN's chief political analyst, glosses that, saying that he was, quote, exempt as a student and with a high draft number, close quote. In 1968, Romney went to France as a Mormon recruiter, and here's Borger. In 1968, France was a dangerous place to be for a 21-year-old American, but Mitt Romney was right in the middle of it. You did hear that right. In 1968, the year that saw the highest number of American deaths in Vietnam, over 16,000, France was a dangerous place to be for a 21-year-old American who was avoiding service in Vietnam. What on earth can she mean? Well, French people were protesting the Vietnam War, you see, and so, according to a fellow missionary, quote, there was no train service, there were no buses, no newspapers, the electricity would go off from time to time, close quote. But there was more, quote, there were no letters from home, the money at the time came via check, close quote. So, as Christopher summarizes, quote, CNN's story is that Mitt Romney had it tough during Vietnam because the protests in France made it hard for his dad to send him money, close quote. 
He suggests that the network may have bent so far backward trying to avoid seeming biased against Romney that they ended up unintentionally parodying him. It's funny either way. Trying to turn the pages off my magazine While trying to keep a hold of your hand And ordering a coffee that I wouldn't ever drink Just to keep you in Paris on my mind Just to keep you in Paris on my mind I didn't know it would be the last time The last time Lastly, Rush Limbaugh opens his mouth, inserts his foot. Now he's claiming President Obama is not authentically black. We have audio from the Rush Limbaugh show. Let's listen. Give me this down with the struggle business. He wasn't, he wasn't down with the struggle. That's the whole point. You go back to 2008, the Democrats were wringing their hands because he wasn't authentically black. That's the reason the Reverend Sharp had a problem with him, and, and they, they wrote the column in the L.A. Times of the Magic Negro. <laughs> he wasn't down with the struggle. He doesn't have slave blood. You know all that. You're the official Obama criticizer. What are you telling me? All right. He doesn't have slave blood. So this is funny because, number one, the idea that if you don't come from slaves, you're not black is absurd. But number two, as found by the genealogist on Ancestry.com, not only is President Obama descended from slaves, one of his ancestors is the first documented slave, John Punch, which was revealed by the New York Times. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the president is not authentically black. What's Rush Limbaugh talking about at this point? And what's he trying to do? First, he's not white enough. Now he's not black enough. It's, it's brilliant. Now, I do have something to say about this. I'm not going to defend what Rush said. However, if he had used the term African-American instead of black, he's not, he does, let's say he didn't have an ancestor that was a slave. Right. You could make the case. He doesn't have the same shared history in his ancestry that other African-Americans have. I'm not saying that so that's good or bad or a reason words, to vote for In other words, what Natan is saying is, if Rush Limbaugh had said something different, and if President Obama's uh, family background was different. No, no, no. It's then totally, there may be something to it. No, 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 no. Incredible, totally, guys. We're really, that, what a great, great you're statement. The, you're not seeing the point I'm making. Yeah. It's totally incidental that, in fact, Obama has a slave ancestor. <laughs> it could have easily not been the case, and that wouldn't, made you, that wouldn't have made you say anything different just now. No, because, because Rush Limbaugh, let's be honest. I mean, let's talk frankly, guys, here. We're not here to wordsmith and play semantic arguments. Rush Limbaugh is talking about something else. Rush Limbaugh is talking about what the right stereotype is of someone who is really a black person, right? That's what's at the bottom of this. Yeah, I think so. Natan? Yeah, however, it was the case that in 2008 during the campaign, there were African Americans who were making the same argument. Okay, uh, you, you know, just because uh, the same way that I'll criticize a Democrat for being anti-gay, just because a black person says something about black people doesn't mean that they're the ultimate, uh, 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 the, the high and mighty authority on it, right? I mean, what I'm saying is these people, and one of them appeared on the Stephen Colbert show and he ripped him apart, which I quoted earlier. This was actually something that some people talked about. He doesn't share our history. He's not like us. He has the same skin color, but he's, he doesn't have the same cultural history. I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying people said that. Yeah. Uh, okay, In no, reality, I, I he agree does with Natan. have the same history. In reality, he does. And I agree with Natan that some people did say that. That's a, yeah. that's a statement of fact. And let's just be clear that only Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson are, are the supreme authorities on, on if you're authentically black enough. Throughout the night. Brown. 
The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Anybody remember Virgil Goode? He was uh, in Virginia, loathsome guy, Republican congressman, and talked about, he openly bigoted towards Muslims, uh, saying there should be less Muslims in the country, there should be less mosques in the country. Not radical Muslims, not fundamentalists, not terrorists. No, no, Muslims, period. Doesn't like them, doesn't want them in the country. If you're a Muslim American, well, who cares? It doesn't matter to Virgil Goode. He doesn't want you in the country. Now, even in a fairly conservative district in Virginia, he wound up losing, partly because of those controversial comments, partly because he sucked otherwise. Uh, and Tom Perriello, who was great at running that race, helped uh, greatly by uh, someone who's unheralded, Stephanie Taylor, who's now at the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, put together a brilliant campaign and kicked him out of Congress. So now, he's running for president, which is, of course, a joke. But the joke turns out to be on Mitt Romney, because he just got on the ballot in Virginia. Oops. Now, there are some people who are libertarians, like Gary Johnson, who might take some votes away from President Obama. If you're against the war on drugs, you're against the war in Afghanistan, etc., you might want to vote for Gary Johnson. He, Gary Johnson's certainly going to take some votes away from Mitt Romney, because a lot of conservatives are tired of... Uh, what is not really conservative positions. They agree a lot more with Gary Johnson and how to rain down uh, government spending, etc. Gary Johnson wants to do a lot more than Mitt Romney does. So they can take from both sides. Virgil Goode is only going to take from Republicans. He's a racist, asshat clown, and I can't imagine that there'd be a single progressive in the state of Virginia who would make the mistake of voting for Virgil Goode. The Republican Party in Virginia is livid. They have tried everything to try to keep him off the ballot, but it did not work. And the judge just ruled he will go on the ballot, and, if, and they're going to continue to appeal and appeal and appeal. But if on election day Virgil Goode is on that ballot in Virginia, it just might cost Mitt Romney the state of Virginia, which would be a devastating blow for him because that's one of the swing states he desperately needs so of all people in america virgil good might actually do the country some good in the most ironic way possible So Mitt Romney, um, there was a there was tape that was uh, uh, 
basically picked up by Mother Jones, and then I think it was also picked up uh, by NBC, uh, that found audio, an actual full-on video of Mitt Romney at a fundraising campaign earlier in the year, and he was kind of breaking down some of his feelings about certain things and certain ideas uh, that he thought uh, about the election and stuff like that. I believe we might even have a clip of it. There are 47% of the people who vote for the president no matter what. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's, that's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and, I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 49. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Perhaps I I had to have heard that uh, incorrectly, Eljoy, right? I mean, he couldn't, that's not, that can't be Mitt Romney saying such a thing, can it? I'm sorry. I'm, wait. What? I, I'm sorry. Oh, you, you're right, Eljoy. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe I, I, I pushed through it too fast. Let me, let me, let me rewind that a bit for you, because I don't want, I don't want it to seem like we're, we're pushing past it. All right, there are 47% who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that, that they are victims, who believe that government has a responsibility to care for them, who believe that they are entitled to health care, to food, to housing, to you name it. But that's it's an entitlement, and the government should give it to them. And they will vote for this president no matter what. And, and I mean, the president starts off with 48, 49, 48. He starts off with a huge number. These are people who pay no income tax. 47% of Americans pay no income tax. So our message of low taxes doesn't connect. And you'll be out there talking about tax cuts for the rich. I mean, that's what they sell. I got, okay, let's, let's have a moment, uh, wow. shall we? Shall we have a moment here? Um, let's just deal with some of the stuff that he just said just now. First of all, let's, let's be honest here. Is this not the biggest middle finger Rick Romney has given so far uh, that's come out? And the fact is, like, this happened last year, or earlier in the year, so he's been right. giving middle fingers for quite some time. We just didn't actively have audio of him giving the middle finger. Um, so let, 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 let's actually uh, break this down a little bit. So one, um, the entitlement, the idea that we need, that we all want free stuff, that like we that we specifically, specifically want free stuff so that, by, by the way, Mitt Romney said this before. Mitt Romney said this after he right. addressed the NAACP and said he was going to repeal Obamacare. It was like, oh, if those people want free stuff, and then he pointed that out here again, he kind of goes back into that whole idea of in time of they think they deserve health care or whatever. Whereas it's not so much that people feel like they deserve health care. It's more that people feel like in this country, the country that's supposed to be so amazing, so, so exceptional, and yet we can't deal with healthcare like other countries that we don't, you can never speak of because they're bad co- uh, countries. They're, they're European policies and they're boo, bad, uh, yucky, boo, Eljoy. Uh, we can't do healthcare like them, and some people are like, hey, you know what, I would, I wouldn't mind paying more taxes in order for our country to be able to, like, being sick wouldn't bankrupt me. That's what, that's kind of what people, so it's not so much, uh, 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 this, this idea of, it's, it's an entire, I, I deserve free healthcare. It's like, as a country, we come together and we decide what's important and what's not important. And a lot of us have dis- uh, come to the conclusion that we feel healthcare is important. And even people that are against free healthcare, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, the Affordable Care Act, cause it's not free healthcare, but the Affordable Care Act, actually, a lot of them have healthcare covered by the government, Eljoy. Yeah. Yep. And so the idea of this being somehow 
People just want this free stuff because, like, because it's a, it's a it's a popular meme amongst Mitt Romney and his people that they want free that we want free stuff, and he's already said flat out black people want it. Well, well, I, I think what's what's ultimately disturbing to me, right, is that they've categorized it in a way that one the, the, <laughs> that some of these benefits aren't earned. You know that everybody is getting free stuff that the seniors on Social Security did not earn their benefit, did not contribute uh, <clears throat> at some part in society, and that's the reason why they um, are able to, <coughs> excuse me, take in the benefits. It's just sort of categorizing it <coughs> as <coughs> people don't contribute anything, that people don't contribute anything, <coughs> and that they're just taking. Wow. Okay. Don't no, breathe. Okay. Um, apparently, this is upsetting Eljoy. She was like, she 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 was choking on the on the outrage that uh, Mr. Mr. Romney was throwing out there, uh, and I can see that I can see that being the case. And it's the idea, like like Eljoy, I, it really bugs me this concept because not only you know what else this all proves. This all kind of shows that all of a sudden, magically, we've talked about Mitt Romney for quite some time. And we've talked about the idea that he was a big flip-flopper. He didn't, he always did kind of what it was, was the most politically awesome thing for him to do in order to win and stuff like that. But at this point, basically, Mitt Romney has decided to have a backbone, but he can only have a backbone when it's against the underprivileged. He, it's, he can only have a backbone when it's for, against people that he figures they won't vote for him anyway, so who cares? I'm going to stand up against you guys. You know what? 47% of people, blah, 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 guess what? That 47% that you quoted isn't even the proper number. A part of those votes of the 47% that don't pay income taxes actually are going to vote for you, Mitt Romney. Yeah. Um, and so he's saying these things, and it's he just keeps showing himself to be, like, like what? What are we supposed to think anymore, Eljoy? At what point do are we allowed to just go? He's a dick, right? He's like, I don't want, I don't want him representing me. He's a well, no, of course not, because he has disdain for for people, and even people that were trying to last night compare it to Obama's statement in a private um in a private fundraiser, high mm-hmm. dollar fundraiser. Um, remember the statement he said um, they cling to their and guns and their religion mm-hmm. um, during this time. But there's remarkably differences in their statements if you go on, you know. So I I listened to the whole thing that Mother Jones put up, and they just announced as well at two thirty they're going to release um the entirety um of the film. It's about four. 43 minutes, they said. Mm -hmm. Um, So they'll be releasing the whole thing around 2.30. But even in the context of of that conversation, one, it seems to me that he was answering the question of how do you win. It's something that candidates get asked all the time, particularly from high high donors. You know, as you go in a room and they're like, look, this doesn't look good. You know, uh, your, your opponent's approval rating is this. You know, the numbers say this. How are you winning this? Right. And so it seems that that's what he was asking, sort of how he was answering. I'm sorry. How does he win this? And in the midst of trying to give the numbers and sort of the breakdown of what he what he believes is his path to victory, he revealed himself, something that we always knew and we made fun of. You know, people we've made fun of him being disconnected from regular people and being the one percent and not knowing how the regular, you know, regular people, you know, live and that he has a disdain for them and treats them differently. And that was all summed up by this video by that comment 
itself is that he believes that he is separate and apart as well as other people who are rich and that they are the only ones that make this country run. They are the only ones that contribute to society. They are the only ones who create jobs. You know, the fact that some Republicans last night on Twitter are telling me Wall Street creates jobs. For who? Wall Street doesn't create jobs for somebody in Wisconsin who has a, a, a bachelor's degree, maybe married with two kids, and lives in Wisconsin. What no, job no, are they getting no, on they Wall Street? Still, they, they do make jobs, Eldridge. Because what happens is that Wall Street then uh, makes money, and if you then invest in Wall Street, then you get money, and then you get to go to Wisconsin and start a job. Yeah. No, I mean that. I mean, I'm sure some people have done that, right? And let's talk a little bit more about this 47 percent that we're talking about, because that upset me the the most in terms of lumping people to, people together, right? So. 53.6% of the country pay income tax, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> About 28.3% pay payroll tax. You know, so even if you don't pay income tax because you don't make enough money to pay tax mm-hmm. on it, you still pay payroll tax. Yeah. You still pay the taxes that contribute to Social Security. Uh, anybody that get a paycheck right now, even if you're making thirty $30,000, $25,000 a year, there is still that line item that comes out of your check that contributes to Social Security, that contributes to health. There's still You still contribute through taxes. It's just not income tax. 10.3% of our elderly who uh, either probably worked at some point in their life and contributed to the society, so their Social Security is earned income, something that they contributed before, or if I'm 92 years old, what job am I having? <laughs> what income? My grandmother, who's 86 years old, who cannot work but worked all of her life, has a pension and Social Security, what job is she having? So she does not make any. She makes $14,000 a year from her Social Security benefits, and you're saying that you don't care about her? Well, uh, uh, I believe the answer is no, Eljoy. He, he doesn't. He, this, like, what, didn't we just discuss this yesterday about the idea that, we're, that it's all about the electoral vote uh, and basically yes. getting that percentage? And this is just a, another example <clears throat> of that being the case. Like, he specifically is like, listen, I'm not getting those votes, so you know what? Forget them. Here's what we got to do. And it's, I mean... It's 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 really interesting when you watch a candidate have open disdain for you and everyone you care about. Yeah. Because that's what's happening right here. If you if you're a little bit unclear as to what the issue is here, besides the fact that it's just a stupid thing to say politically speaking, and the fact that you thought that you would say this and that it would just never come out, I'm surprised it took this long for it to come out. In all honesty, um, he's an idiot. Whatever uh, <laughs> whatever politician thinks that you're going to go in a room and make any public comments and that the possibility that they could not be recorded, you're an idiot. You're a hater. <laughs> I know. I know. know a lot. What what happened, Aaron? I was gonna say he doesn't seem to know a lie. He doesn't know what uh, middle. He doesn't know what middle class income is. He doesn't seem to understand the actual positioning of the citizens of the country. So there's no way he's gonna know someone has a cell phone camera and can record. That's that's yeah. He doesn't. That's a lot of common sense goes over his head. I don't know, sir. I, I, all I all, what I do know is this is this is a uh, highly problematic, to say the least. Today I lost my common sense. It slipped away on the corner of Pike and Ten I guess it happened on purpose Cause lately it's been getting quite intense Today I went to 
So that's the real Mitt Romney for you, the one on the video disdaining 47% of the American people, essentially calling them moochers who are dependent on government and not taking personal responsibility for their lives. While it's astonishing to hear a presidential candidate dismiss almost half of the electorate, at least we know how Romney feels. He feels superior. And he's insensitive, and he's such a clumsy politician that he didn't even have the good sense to apologize for those remarks, instead saying they were not elegantly stated. But he didn't disavow them. He can't, because his whole outlook, his whole philosophy, is that the free enterprise system can provide for everyone and that the government shouldn't provide for anyone. The very idea spelled out in the preamble of the Constitution that the government should promote the general welfare is anathema to him. He doesn't really believe in a decent society or in a caring community because that's what government provides when it takes care of the elderly through Social Security and Medicare, when it takes care of the disabled and the poor through Medicaid, when it takes care of the hungry through food stamps, or when it gives those who can't find work an unemployment check. But Romney, he sneers at it all, and that's downright chilling. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Sometimes I feel like I want to leave this place for good Under the ground I'll live down there without a sound And never hear these hissing voices all the same I'll disappear Cause living makes me feel ashamed Greta Van Susteren, in her defense, let's go to the press conference now. In her defense, Greta Van Susteren did run the press conference after the fact, not live. They wanted time to make sure that everything was okay for air. And uh, this is that press conference. Now, if you go out there at 10.30 at night for an unplanned press conference because of a video that's leaked, you're in panic mode, ladies and gentlemen. That's not normal. That's not a normal thing to do in the course of a campaign unless you were desperate. And Mitt Romney was, and here's what he had to say capture the question so I don't know precisely what was asked but I think it was about my campaign and how I'd be able to get the majority of voters to uh, to support me uh, by the way whoever has released the snippets would I'd certainly appreciate if they released the whole tape and so we could see all of it right I believe the point I made is the president starts out with a large number of the voters 47 48 49 percent something like that these are people who are in his camp and uh, they'll vote for him almost no matter what and I also have a large number of people who will vote for me almost no matter what at least I hope so and uh, and then my campaign effort is to focus on the people in the middle the people I will try and draw into my campaign are largely people who voted for Barack Obama last time around but who I want to have as part of my campaign to become successful so it's a it's a question and answer as I recall about the process of the campaign and uh, and how I'm going to get the 51 or 52 percent I need and I point out it's by focusing on those folks that are neither in his camp nor in my camp 
Of course, there's a very different uh, approach of the two different campaigns. All right, so then as he goes I point out, let's get to the end with how he wraps this up here. That I give to people, which is that we have a very different approach, the president and I, between a government-dominated society and a society driven by free people pursuing their dreams. I'm talking about the process of, of campaigns. <laughs> Typically, I don't talk about process uh, uh, in, in speeches because uh, I think candidates are wiser to talk about policy and their vision than, than to talk about how they're going to win an election at, at a fundraiser. You have people say, Governor, how are you going to win this? And, and so I respond, well, the president has his group. I have my group. I want to keep my team strong and motivated, and I want to get those people in the middle. Uh, that's something which, uh, which fundraising people who are parting with their monies are very interested in knowing, can you win or not? And that's what this was addressing. Are all the things that you said in the video things you believe? Uh, and then he walks out as he's being asked, do you believe the things you said in the video? Which basically he said, all he really said is I said things the wrong way. He doesn't even really take back any of the things he said. Um, Can I just say something about that? Yeah. Uh, just about, uh, once again, about the body language. If you turn the sound off, I, I urge anyone to turn the sound off and watch a minute of that. It's excruciating. That's the body language of someone who's supremely embarrassed who made a huge mistake and is trying to cover it up. That, do you think, Lewis, that behind the scenes Romney is firing people? Is he angry? I mean, does he, does he just fault himself for this? Does he fault whoever didn't prevent that cell phone camera from being snuck into that speech? What are you thinking if you're Romney? You've got to be miserable. Uh, honestly, he's probably just mad at himself. Uh, like we talked about before. Personal you, responsibility, huh? Personal responsibility, and you have to always assume you're being recorded. Uh, we have cameras that are that are the size of um, pens. I mean, yeah, tiny, smaller, way yeah. smaller. They can be in, in your sunglasses, and no one would even know. Uh, it, it's pretty foolish to assume you're not being recorded. It's clear he didn't think he was because he's so loose and just spewing out uh, all his uh, all this rhetoric that he keeps wrapped up. Do you think this is the beginning of the end for Mitt Romney? Oh, definitely, Natan. Uh, well, I think Lewis thought it was the end a while back. I think that uh, the convention was a huge change in this campaign towards Obama, and I think this is going to be a mistake that it's going to be very difficult to come out of. The only way to get out of this for Romney is to have an awesome performance in the debates where Obama is just completely destroyed, which is pretty unlikely. Okay, and last thing on this, there's also another bit of video that leaked. This is incredible stuff. Mitt Romney also put, in his foot, foot, put his foot in his mouth talking about Mexicans and Hispanic voters. He make making some very weird jokes about how if he were Mexican, which is where his dad uh, was uh, born, then he would have a better shot of winning. This is very strange video, ladies and gentlemen. Take a listen to this. My heritage, my dad, you probably know, was uh, was the governor of Michigan and was the head of a car company, but he was born in Mexico, and. Uh, had he been born of, of Mexican parents, I'd have a better shot of winning this, but he was not. <laughs> <laughs> one of Americans living in Mexico. They lived there for a number of years. And, uh, uh, I mean, I say that jokingly, but it would be helpful to be uh, Latino. Yeah, it would be helpful to Mitt Romney to be Latino. I don't know what that means. Does that mean He's that... He's right. It means he'd get more of the vote. Uh, well, but, well, what is he really saying here? He's saying that because people vote for Obama just because he's black, if he were Hispanic, he would get Hispanic votes? Like, what, what is he actually saying here? He's saying that if he were Hispanic, he'd get Hispanic votes. Is that what he's saying, Natan? 
Um, I don't. I don't know that he knows exactly what he's implying with that. <laughs> I, I think that what he's saying is probably the, it, what Lewis is saying that he'll get Hispanic votes. But I would say that that's probably not necessarily true. With comments like these, Hispanic voters are a lot of the people that he's talking about in this comment about the forty-seven percent. Yeah, I mean, a presidential candidate making jokes about Mexicans. And by the way, the Rom. Why were the Romneys in Mexico so that Mitt's grandfather could continue marri- being married to five wives? That's why they were in Mexico. You don't even hear Mitt talking about that. Probably better for Mitt to avoid talking about Mexicans, I have to say, Lewis. Hey, this is Lee Camp. I hope you've enjoyed having my Moment of Clarity rants pumped into your skulls. If you have, you would almost definitely love my free Moment of Clarity backstage podcast, where I discuss the topics of the day. You know, the little things, like the corporate raping and pillaging of our world. I also have on fun, awesome guests like this lady. My name is Janine Garofalo. This guy. Hi, I'm John Oliver. Even sometimes this guy. This is Greg Palace, and I've got my zipper caught in Moments of Clarity. Free at LeeCamp.net, iTunes, Stitcher, or the Android app. Plus, there's a Moment of Clarity book for those of you who thought, I love Moment of Clarity, but I hate how I can't lick it. Well, now you can. The Moment of Clarity book and ebook, get it at LeeCamp.net or on most e-reader platforms. And remember, keep fighting and stay angry. I know who's going to win the presidency in November. I do. I already know. And better yet, I'm willing to tell you. It's going to be the guy who seems to support endless war, countless drone attacks, and would sooner sit down to watch every Pauly Shore movie back-to-back than consider decreasing our 900 military bases around the world by a single one. It's the guy who essentially never mentions climate change, but if he does, still doesn't actually lead the charge to changing the unsustainable way in which we live. You can buy 10 t-shirts for $10 at Walmart, and then rather than washing them, just throw them out when they're dirty. It's good for the economy. It's the guy who will decrease funding to NASA while increasing funding to Homeland Security and drone surveillance of our own people. He doesn't want to find out what's going on in other worlds and other galaxies. Who gives you But he sure as hell wants to know what's happening in your living room. Although the next step might be to actually send Mars rovers into our bedrooms, and I think that'll be pretty cool. Who will win the presidency? I bet it'll be the guy who couldn't care less about the struggling people of Palestine or the sweatshop laborers who make the products we buy. The guy who would bust up any UN treaty that might limit our bustling billions of dollars of arms sales to other countries. The guy who's never seen a semi-automatic rifle he doesn't want out on the streets, but will allow the arrest of anyone holding a bullhorn without a permit to protest. The guy who will demand the severe punishment of anyone who reveals wrongdoing by the government, the military, the big banks, or even the guy who sells hot dogs to tourists outside the White House. He overcharges for those hot dogs, but the whistleblower revealed it is now vacationing in Guantanamo. It will be the guy who deports immigrants hand over fist and would sooner adopt Honey Boo Boo than stand up for unions over the corporatists. Who will win the presidency? It'll be the guy who surrounds himself with advisors from Goldman Sachs, GE, and Monsanto. He will be the next president of the United States. Not only will he win the election, but I bet you he'll get every single electoral vote. So I suggest you get your ass to Vegas and bet on that guy. It's a lock.
Hey, Jay, it's Kyle from Cleveland. Speaking of fundamentalism, uh, I think a lot of people aren't talking about the Christian fundamentalism as well. And I have to tell you, I used to be a firefighter medic pre-9-11 in a small volunteer department outside of Cleveland. And uh, I still wear a bunch of the old t-shirts to work now in construction. On September 11th, I happened to be wearing one of my old fire shirts, and I had to stop at the store on the way home and get groceries for, uh, for my family. And while I was shopping, a gentleman came up to me, obviously seeing the firefighter shirt on the anniversary of 9-11, <clears throat> and began talking to me. No big deal, I kind of expected that, you know, after I realized what I was doing on that day, completely unintentionally. So then this guy told me that it was a shame what happened to our guys, our, our cops and firemen, and these no-good Muslims who did this, and we need to get them all out of the country, including the Muslim in office. He's a Kenyan, not even an American. And this guy proceeds to give me a card, which basically extols him as a, uh, <clears throat> as a pastor of some kind of um, evangelical church. And, and I'm just like... Normally, when I'm out and someone starts giving this, giving me this kind of nonsense, I don't have a problem getting into a duel with them uh, intellectually. However, this time, I just wanted to get home. I had my son's ice cream melting in the cart. <clears throat> and this guy, his eyes were getting so wild, I was genuinely afraid this guy was going to freak out. And I have to tell you, I'm in union construction. I'm... 200 pounds. I'm not a little guy by any means. And this guy was actually getting me uncomfortable where I just got the hell out of there, got to the checkout and went home and just realized that I cannot believe in this day, in this age, in this country, there are people who are so ignorant and so fueled. I mean, <clears throat> he had the same rage as like some of these like neo-Nazis. I mean, this guy is like a true believer. I mean, it's just... I, I think any kind of fervor in religious beliefs like that is just scary. So anyway, Jay, thanks for the show. I love it. Hi, I hope it's not too late to jump on the Joe Stacy bandwagon for a spell and give my two cents. Joe's word choice for Stacy might be a little harsh, and the comparison he makes doesn't fully add up. Yet, I think he's justified in asking her to expand um, the roots of her hyper-awareness of men when she's out alone at night. Really, I think it's only fair of me to point out that Stacy's reaction to her experience is far from universal. I guess you could say I'm yet another member of the statistics she mentioned, but my feelings about the events, both then and now, are completely different than hers. Call me reckless and dumb if you want, but I refuse to let these past experiences make me feel vulnerable as a woman. You know, maybe I'm unique in that my assailants left me with a feeling of deep humiliation and just pure unadulterated rage, which pretty much completely overshadowed any residue of fear that I might have been feeling. I was so furious that he found it in any way acceptable to try using me as a sex object against my will and further try to justify it claiming I was quote-unquote not modest or moral in the first place. Basically, he perceived me as weak, defenseless, and completely malleable to his will. It is by refusing to be any of those things that I defy him in his actions. I refuse to be suspect of men I don't know or afraid to walk alone. 
A little self-defense work and a lot of life experiences then have taught me how to avoid such close calls for the most part, but I have not adopted a sense of heightened vulnerability or fear as a result. I refuse to live my life as a potential victim and treat half of humanity as guilty until proven innocent. I do my best to regard men as individuals first and require evidence proving their investment in rape culture and its associated actions, rather than vice versa. Life's a lot more empowering when you assume no demand the best of people. I guess I'm just naive and flirt with disaster for sport, perhaps, but again, I refuse to live my life in fear. I'm not denying or disputing Stacy's viewpoint. Really, it does make a lot of sense objectively. I'm just offering an alternative take on a similar situation. Thanks, Jay. Hey, Jay. This is Colin from Cleveland again. Hey, I uh, forgot to mention the uh, the piece you had by uh, Taylor Molly. That piece was absolutely amazing. Eloquent, emotional, powerful. I have played that clip in the couple days after the podcast has been released now, I played that clip to six people already who all loved it. So I got to tell you, good work on finding that one. That that piece was just amazing. Love the show. Hi, Jay. I'm responding to an interesting question that you raised at the end of the episode on teaching. And that was about this, uh, whether or not we have an obligation to to not provoke people if we know that they are going to respond in a certain way. And referring to this issue in Libya, I think we're dealing with two separate questions here, and both sides of the issue are, are getting it wrong. So there, the first question would be how to respond to, to somebody who has provoked us or something that has provoked us. And in this case, you know, the mobs are, I think we would agree, getting that one wrong, that uh, it's, it's wrong to respond in a violent way to, to uh, uh, symbolic provocation. The second question, too, I think, I think the uh, filmmakers and the promoters of this film are getting wrong, and that is, you know, if how to criticize or satirize. And I would draw a distinction between creating something to provoke solely to offend and creating something that criticizes or satirizes through wit and wisdom and does so with deep knowledge and, and with a purpose. In this, in the case of this film, which I haven't seen, the message is simple. The message is simply, I disrespect you. That's the only content of the message as far as I can see. But on the other side of that, there have been many great satires. Uh, one example would be the Monty Python film, Life of Brian in which there are ideas at play. Uh, one of the big ones is this uh, is a, it's a satire of people getting swept up in religious fervor without paying attention to the person that they're basing their beliefs on. A great film. It's, it's critical, and yet it's thoughtful, it's funny, um, it's well-crafted. So to me, to me, it's very important in, in, in criticizing religion to draw a distinction between a message that says, you believe stupid things, uh, you believe in talking snakes or magic underwear. This is, to me, this is third grade playground level stuff. And the, and the criticism that says, here's how your belief system works out in contradictory or harmful ways. 
Anyway, thanks for thanks for the uh, show, for the work you put in, and uh, you have a good one. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So I just have a couple of comments today. First of all, I want to touch on the conversation of you know the morality of provoking fundamentalists. And I just want to say that those who responded sort of sidestepped the question just a little bit. Um, the, you know, the, the one that I just played was, I think, the most thoughtful on, on the subject. But in talking about the various shades of gray in terms of how you critique religion, whether you do it ham-handedly or very thoughtfully, sidesteps the point of the particular case in point of showing the image of Muhammad which is sort of a binary issue. Either you show him or you don't. And in theory, those who find offense in the showing of the image of Muhammad should react the same way, whether it's very ham-handed and offensive to them. Uh, you know, the, 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 the context of it is very offensive. Or if it's very thoughtful and sort of introspective or whatever, theoretically, the reaction would be the same. And so the question is, is in dealing with that binary, is it the moral thing to do to abide by that uh, reality or to say that it's ridiculous and go forward and make a you know, very thoughtful and creative critique of religion and use the image? So that's the question. If, if uh, others uh, continue to have input on this, please uh, call those in, 206-202-3410. And then the last thing I want to say is, you know, like with, with the clip referred to by the other caller of, uh, you know, the clip from Taylor Molly, who talked about what teachers make in the previous episode. I just want to say that clips like that they, they pop up every once in a while in the show, and I, I agree with the listeners who call in and say that they're like the, the best, most inspiring things that they want to share the most. And I just want to say that those very often or almost always actually come from listeners. Listeners write in and send me a link to a YouTube video, and that's how I find a lot of that stuff. And I just want to really encourage that to continue happening. I, I don't know. I never thought to bring it up until now, but if you've seen a really interesting video that's really sort of fun and inspiring and you think it would fit in the show, please send those along because it's it's those one-off clips that aren't from the usual stable of shows that I and I think a lot of the listeners like the most, um, but I don't often come across them myself. It, you know, it, it helps a lot when people send them in. So if you know of any, send them in. And that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or donor. All that can be done through the website. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks, which can also, of course, be done through the website. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.